I think that, is that it? Okay, so we're going to continue on with our uh, sermon series to the cross and the resurrection. And what we're doing is we're journeying with Jesus towards his death and his resurrection, mostly in the book of Matthew, but we are kind of going to be taking bits and pieces from the book of John. And so last week I spoke about the context in which all of this is happening. So Jesus is in you know Jerusalem, but it's all underneath the control of Rome. So Rome, Rome controls everything uh, in uh, Jerusalem. And the Jews, Jesus was and still is a Jew, um, they wanted a warrior king. They wanted someone to come and to take over Rome and defeat Rome. And so ultimately, Jesus is one, he's a disappointment to the Jews during that time. And at the same time, he's also challenging to them because he constantly calls them out on their uh, bad theology. Um, So At the same time, last week I talked about how the disciples were confused. He tells them, hey, I'm going to go off and be crucified. And they were thinking, what is this guy talking about? He's walking to his death. But the religious leaders aren't confused. They actually want Jesus to die. And we also see a woman who pours a $51,000 bottle of perfume on his head to anoint him for burial. And Judas agrees to betray Jesus. So that's what we see last week. Today we're going to be looking at one of the most iconic scenes of Jesus' life, which is the uh, Last Supper. Linda, you want to go to the next slide? And so the Last Supper is something that we're all familiar with. Again, it's just one of these big moments in Jesus' life that uh, really in many ways um, people can point to this and they know about the Last Supper even if they don't follow Jesus because it's just this huge, beautiful uh, scene in Jesus' life. So we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 26, verses 17 through uh, 30. You want to go to the next slide? Thanks. Wow, it's kind of like you know what I'm doing here wife all right so Matthew 26 17 through 30 on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread the disciples came to Jesus and asked where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover he replied go into the city to a certain man and tell him the teacher says my appointed time is near I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve, and while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him, but woe to the man, that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So what we see here is Jesus is celebrating the Passover meal 
which is still something that Jews to this day, they still celebrate. This is a really big uh, event in their life as much as we might have Christmas or Easter or other holidays. Passover to the Jews is a really big um, celebration and event, something that they are meant to remember. And what it is, is that it is reminding them that God freed them from slavery within Egypt, which is a really big deal for them. And so this meal is filled with all sorts of um, symbolism. And so even if you look at this right here and it looks like, you know, there's all these foods and stuff, which there are, you know, the eggs represent something. The bread without yeast represents something. And so each one of these things actually represents something that is important to telling the story and retelling the story of what happened to the Jews as they fled and were released from slavery out of Egypt. Okay, next slide. And so Passover, um, and I'd spoken about this last week, is that God, that, you know, God sent all of these plagues into Egypt, and the last plague that was there was death was going to go through Egypt, and the firstborn was going to be dead unless you had the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your house. And if you had the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your house, then death would pass over your house, and the firstborn within that house would not be killed. Um, or would not die. And so this whole idea of having the blood on you and the death was going to pass over you is really uh, important with what is happening with Jesus. So this isn't just another Passover. The Jews celebrate God freeing them from slavery, but Jesus um, says some of the symbolic food is his body and his blood. So this is the Passover for all time, for all of creation. And so, again, this idea, if you have the blood of the lamb on your doorpost, death will pass over you. So Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And so he's saying, this is my body, this is my blood. And so where were they, you know, where would they get the sacrificial lamb? Ultimately, Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. So they're at dinner. They're talking about this. It's already kind of weird. On the one hand, you and I think this is all pretty normal because we've heard a lot of these stories before, and we get it. We have communion on a regular basis. But the, to the disciples, all of this would have been really weird. Okay, And so... Um, it's about to get weirder. And I think that all of us, I assume that most of us have been in a dinner party before and someone says something completely weird. You ever been to a dinner party and you're hanging out and someone just says something so bonkers, you're like, okay, this is so awkward right now. I d you don't know what to say. You're embarrassed. Uh, it's just really kind of weird. And so they're enjoying what they think is a normal Passover meal. And then Jesus says this. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to, one, one, uh, to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl will betray me. And so it all, it would have been so awkward in that moment. And of course, they're all asking, Well, surely you're not talking about me. It can't be me. And so again, we think, you know, we look back on this, but they would have been experiencing all of this, and it would have been really tough for them. And so we know that Judas has agreed to betray Jesus, and John mentions that the devil has entered into Judas. Go to the next slide. 
And Jesus' betrayal is set in motion. But I do want to mention, go back. There you go. But I do want to mention at the same time that Judas is a very interesting figure. And in many ways, I feel like Judas represents a lot of the expectations that the Jews had upon Jesus. In that, I believe, in certain ways, Judas feels betrayed by Jesus. That Jesus has let him down. And that he's not the Jewish warrior king that they were hoping for. And he was, he was sad about this. He was frustrated. He was angry. And he's like, we have to get rid of this guy. And that he embodies, again, the expectations that the Jews would have had on Jesus to be this Jewish warrior king, which Jesus ultimately is not. And so then uh, Jesus does something outrageous. The, the, the whole Passover meal is about him or about God, and then Jesus makes it about him. And again, to us, this seems totally normal. Um, to the disciples, this would have been beyond weird. Go to the next slide. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave, uh, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So you're there at the table eating Passover, and he takes a loaf of bread, and he breaks it, and he says, Eat of this, this is my body. And then he takes a cup filled with wine and he says, take this, this is the blood of the covenant. That'd be a weird dinner party. <laughs> be really weird. But these are the symbols of the new covenant between God and us. And a covenant is a promise between two parties. I think a really good example of a symbol of a covenant is a wedding ring. This is a symbol that you can look at my left hand and you can see that I'm married because I'm wearing a wedding ring. So this is the symbol. These are the materials of a covenant between my wife and I. So he says, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for your sins. But I think it's important for us to understand why does Jesus' body need to be broken at all? And it's important for us to understand why all of this needs to happen. In that when Adam sins, sin enters into mankind. Sin and death enter into mankind. And so the meaning behind this is that when sin enters into mankind, death enters into mankind, meaning that we are all dead in our sins. And so we must be born again. Next slide. In John 3.3, Jesus says this, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Here's the thing, and I see it oftentimes when we're having communion, is that my body is broken. Jesus' body is not broken. My, my body is dead because of sin. Jesus is fully alive. I need to be born again. So Jesus chooses to have his body broken so that mine can be made whole. Jesus pours out his blood so that my sins might be forgiven. Again, Jesus is the true Passover lamb that death will pass over you and you will never die. I used to think, before I was a Christian, 
that people who were born again were a cult within Christianity. I had no idea what it meant. But they were talking about, you need to be born again. You need to be born again. And I just thought it was so weird. I mean, Nicodemus, when he's speaking with Jesus, he has confusion over the term. Like, what does this mean? Am I to enter into my mother's womb again? Why do I need to be born again? Because many of us, including me before I knew Christ, I mean, in reality, thought that I would be right with God if I was a good person. But that's not the case. I can be as good as I want to be, but I'll still be dead in my sins. I need to be born again. And so in order for that to happen, Jesus comes down with a whole body without any blemish. He's the true sacrificial lamb. He has no sin, and he allows his body to be broken for me so that I might have a whole body like his. Again, why bread and wine? I I think this is really fascinating. Why do we use bread and wine? Because Jesus is the God of the everyday woman and man. I eat the bread and and wine, and I eat them again and again. So it's really interesting. Why is it that we, the communion, that the covenant between us is bread and fermented fruit? All right, so when we think about having a covenant, go to the next slide. When we have a, when we choose the materials for what represents a covenant, we choose things that are very valuable. So in marriage, we choose gold or platinum and we choose diamonds for some reason, but it's always valuable, very valuable. And it's not necessarily within reach of everyone, but these are the types of materials that we use to represent a covenant, that we are covenanted to one another. So could you imagine, go to the next slide, what if instead of using gold and diamonds, we actually just use bread to represent a marriage covenant? This guy's like, all right. This means we're going to be married. I'm giving you this loaf of bread right now. Does that seem weird? I think it sounds... All the dudes in here should be like, amen. All the guys in here should be like, amen. This is what we need to do. Just give my, give my fiancé a loaf of bread, and that means we're getting married. But it seems weird. It seems odd. But this is what God has done to us. This is the material, the substance of the covenant that he has with us. So, so why, does he, why does he do this? Next slide. One of the things that when my wife and I went to Rome, which I highly encourage all of you to do because you get to see the history of Christianity, one of the things that we did was we got tour guides. Someone had recommended, hey, when you go there, get a tour guide because there'll be a lot that you miss. So we had this tour guide, and we were walking through the Vatican, which is just monstrous. It's huge. It's unreal uh, for good and bad reasons. And you're there, and she was telling us that one of the things that was interesting about Christianity is that historically, um, what ended up happening is Jesus kind of dies in obscurity. He's not this, you know, to us, he's the center of our universe. But to Rome, he was just another criminal that died. And so what ended up happening in Rome is that Christianity didn't explode or really get popular amongst the elites until much later on in history, but it exploded amongst the poor. The poor and the needy were people who saw Jesus and they finally found a God in whom they could fit into 
because they weren't necessarily going to be rich enough or powerful enough to be able to get the afterlife that they wanted. And so they saw Jesus and they said, wait, he accepts me. He loves me. And I don't really have to do anything special. He accepts me for who I am. And so he's not out of touch. He's not out of reach for me. And so when we think about why bread and wine, it's really important to understand because the kingdom of God isn't the possession of the rich and powerful. This is very, very important. Why not be gold and diamonds? It would literally put it out of reach for so many people. But bread and wine is accessible to who? The everyday person, you and me. Bread and fruit, I assume, are found in almost every household around the globe in some way, shape, or form. The sign of the covenant, the material of the covenant, it says a lot about who he is and who he is inviting into his table. Um, Next, why bread and fermented fruit, wine? I am meant to eat the covenant materials, which, again, we might just take for granted. Like, okay, I take this and I dip it into the wine and I hang out and Sean says a prayer and then I eat it. But to think about why God chooses for us to have some type of substance that we, we ingest, we put into our bodies. Again, you can't do this with gold and you can't do this with diamonds. And what it means is that the covenant is, is external to me in bread and wine and then I eat it. And then it's inside of me. That the covenant between God and I is, is inside of me. Want to go to the next slide? Jesus' body and blood are in you. You eat them. And, and they go into your body. I am joined with Christ. That this is his body broken for me and this is his blood and I'm, in, I, I'm eating his, his body and blood, which sounds so weird. To us, we're like, yeah, I'm eating his body and blood. I mean, <laughs> I didn't put this in my notes, but I mean, it's fairly well known. In ancient times, they thought Christians were cannibals because of all of this. You mean the people who eat the body and drink the blood of their God? But Christ is inside of me. Christ is inside of you. And you are inside of Christ. Extremely powerful. Just, again, what is he communicating by having the signs of the covenant be bread and wine? And then last, and it's even maybe, I mean, it's just biology. um, But the bread and the wine, they pass through me. If I, if I get diamonds, and if I get gold, so this should last me, even though it's my third wedding ring, because I've lost several of them, sorry. <laughs> and the one that's lasted the longest I bought for $5 at a secondhand store. But I love my wife. Here's the thing. I eat the bread, and I, I drink of the wine, and it passes through my body. I get to eat the signs of the covenant over and over and over and over again. Which means I am meant to practice the ritual 
of taking communion on a regular basis. I'm meant to be reminded that his body has been broken for me and that his blood has been poured out for me. If I had a necklace or a diamond, right, it would be something that I would see it and it would remind me. But he chose to do something very different. We are, again, meant to partake of this ritual often. It reminds me that I'm accepted, that his body is broken for me that the blood has been poured out for me, then I am in Christ and he is inside of me. We're reminded of this every single Sunday. Now, another thing that Jesus did is that um, in the book of John, what we see before the meal is that, you want to go to the next slide, is that Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. So before all of this is happening before he says, this is my body broken for you. Um, in John, we see that Jesus washes the feet of the disciples. And on the one hand, I, I, I was thinking about this. I've never actually washed anyone's feet. And to, if, if we're being honest, I have, yeah, thanks. Thanks for raising your be a volunteer, Jeremy. No, thanks. Um, I don't really have any desire to wash anybody's feet. This seems unique. Um, but Jesus does this, and he does this as we read in the book of John because he's demonstrating to them what type of leader he is, what type of, what type of savior he is, what type of friend he is, what type of God he is, that he chooses to wash their feet. Um, you want to go to the next slide? But one of the things that we read in there, what we don't read in there, which I think is especially important, is that Judas wasn't excluded from the feet washing. Jesus, well, in John, doesn't say um, everyone except Judas had their feet washed. Even though Jesus knows that Judas is about to betray him, Jesus still washes the feet of Judas. I'll go to the next slide. To the end. Does Jesus love Judas? To the end. And even though he becomes distorted because of unmet expectations, because of a desire for power, um, for whatever reason, that Judas ends up becoming distorted, does Jesus love him to the very end? So to me, it's challenging. How does this challenge our idea of our enemies or people who um, have betrayed us? And are we like Judas? How, how, how do we act towards those who betray us? Again, Judas, you know, his unmet expectations. Next slide. Jesus said washing their feet was an example to us and that we should do the same to one another, even our, even our enemies. That the greatest amongst us should be our servant or should be the servant. I mean, Jesus does things so differently, which I think is why we love him. That he's the greatest, but he doesn't choose to be great. That he, 
I assume, is the most intelligent man to have ever lived. Yet he never used his power or his intelligence to manipulate anyone. In the midst of all of that, he chose to be humble and to even love his own enemies. And what about us? I assume everyone in the room has been hurt by someone else or is hurt in some way, has felt betrayed in some way. And here we again have the example of Jesus. So what does that say to the way that we treat other people, especially our enemies? Uh, At the same time, um, I do believe that Judas felt betrayed by Jesus, that Judas wanted the popular warrior Messiah, and that Judas has unrealized expectations of Jesus, that he wanted Jesus to be something other than what Jesus was. And he was frustrated by that. He was angry about that because he wanted Jesus to be, he did not want this version of Jesus. He wanted Jesus on a horse with a sword, death in front of him, death behind him, terrorizing the Romans and putting Judaism back in the spot of all-powerful. And so he has these unrealized expectations But I think that's something at the same time we might all wrestle with at the same time as well. These expectations that we have about God. That in many ways, God has let us down. That he has hurt us. That we have these expectations that we place upon him. And he doesn't fulfill them. We might ask questions like, God, why don't you? God, you should have. Aren't you listening to me in this moment? I know that I've been let down by God. But it wasn't him letting me down. It was that I had these unrealistic expectations of what I thought he was supposed to be in my life. That he and I were supposed to agree on all of these things. That my expectations somehow were supposed to affect him in such a way is in many ways I just got what it is that I wanted. And then that makes me hurt. And then when I'm hurt, I get angry. And when I get angry, I do stupid stuff. I think it's all just a part of the normal experience that we have with God. That, God, why, why didn't you? Where were you? Why didn't you show up? You should have. I wish you would have. Where were you in this moment? I'm certainly not the only one in the room that's wrestled with all of these things. So I think this scripture, I mean, apart from hopefully highlighting how amazing it is that we have communion and that the sign of the covenant is in bread and wine... I mean, it communicates so much to us, but at the same time, it's so challenging to know that he washes the feet of his betrayer, his enemy. 
And then at the same time to know that Judas was just a person like us. That's all he was. He was just a person like you and I that had these expectations about God that were so unrealistic that he would be willing to allow his hate to consume him and destroy his relationship with God. So even these small little expectations that we have, these hurts and these pains that we have, how do we deal with them? How do we deal with them? Think, just being honest with God. Look, God's a big boy. He, he already knows what you're thinking in your head. No one's hiding any expectations from God. He already knows. When you're frustrated, it's okay. We have the whole book of Psalms, and so many of them are just people being you know, frustrated and outraged to God. It's okay. God made you as an emotional being, and you'll be emotional, and that's okay. And just being honest with him. I mean, as I've walked with Jesus for 25 years now, and I've been in ministry for however long, one of the things that I am most convinced by is that God truly just wants people who are being honest, honest with him, honest with themselves. Like, God, that hurt me. I'm hurt, and I'm frustrated, and I don't want to talk to you for a while. He's all right with that. He's all right with that. So after we have communion, we'll be praying for folks. If, if there's someone in here that would like prayer for people in your life that you don't like, people in your life that have hurt you, um, and you would like to help from the Holy Spirit to try and resolve that, man, we would love to pray for you too. At the same time, for people who feel like you've been hurt by God, that your expectations about God haven't been met, and that somehow in the midst of that, a seed of bitterness might be taking root in your soul, and that might be something that you want to try and work through. That's okay. It's okay to know that some expectation inside of you is hurting you. It's all right. I'll stand with you. All right, so we are going to take communion. Communion is open to anyone who follows Jesus or anyone who would like to start following Jesus today. Obviously, the cracker represents the bread, which represents Christ's body, and the wine represents the blood that was poured out for our sins. The way that we do this is that we all come down the center aisle, and you come and take a piece of the cracker and dip it into the wine, and then you go around the sides like this so we can have a good flow of things, and then we'll all hold on to the elements together, and then when everyone has them, we'll partake together. So if you would like communion, please uh, come down.
Jesus, we thank you for allowing your body to be broken. Jesus, we thank you for allowing your blood to be poured out for our sins. Jesus, we ask that you would become more and more real to us that we would experience you more. That we would know that you're inside of us. That the kingdom of God is inside of us. And that we can experience you more and more. Thank you, Lord. Let's partake. We're going to let the kids come in here and take communion. We can all sit for, yeah, sit for a minute while they come in. We already did communion. You good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Lord, we thank you for allowing your body to be broken ours and we thank you for pouring out your blood so that our sins might be forgiven God we take communion and remembrance of you and all that you've done for us and that you live inside of us and we live inside of you in Jesus name amen all right why don't we stand if you prayer for um, anything to be honest we would love to pray for you after the service if you did want prayer in terms of being able to work some, through some issues of, of folks who you feel hurt by or just about expectations from God that you're wrestling with. We would love to lay hands on you, pray for you, allow space for the Holy Spirit to work through us and in you, and that you might be able to gain some traction on some of the things that you're wrestling with. 
Um, but if not, I'm just going to pray a prayer of blessing. Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the gift of the church, brothers and sisters, to be able to journey with. Would you bind us together as your body? God, that we would know you and that we would make you known. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our ears to the things that you have for us through this week, the ways in which you are leading us, the places that you want to take us, which uh, might seem scary sometimes or really exciting or boring, Lord, that you would guide us into these places that we trust you to take us into good places because you love us. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.